This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a weekly curated podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Dr. Anjali Bagra, a general internist and the medical director of the Office of Equity, Inclusion, and Diversity at Mayo Clinic. We all know that the COVID-19 pandemic is widening pre-existing gender inequities and disparities. We also know that incomplete sex disaggregated data underestimates the gendered impact of the pandemic and identifying categories of impact such as occupational, economic, domestic, gender-based violence, mental health, and sexual and reproductive health rights is critical to understand the full impact. Today, we are joined by Dr. Carol Kuhl, a great colleague of mine, a general internist and specialist in women's health at Mayo Clinic, uh, Rochester campus. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Kuhl. Thank you, and I'm so happy to be able to share this conversation. Well, welcome once again. Uh, would you like to give us a brief introduction of the awesome work that you do at Mayo Clinic? Sure. So we work with adult women who are struggling with sensitive issues around menopause transition, hormone therapy, and sexual health that often are unrecognized or not assessed during routine medical care. You know, with the restrictions of the pandemic, the question then became, how do we continue to reach out to the needs of patients? And then also in this very challenging environment, what are the other issues that are impacting our patients and women in general during the pandemic? Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for the phenomenal work that you spearhead at Mayo Clinic. I've had so many patients who've been greatly impacted by the services offered by the Menopause and Sexual Health Clinic at Mayo Clinic. Let's dig a little bit deeper into how we chose to write on this topic. And while we were aware of emerging disparities, could you share a little background on how this piqued our interest of, and really the story behind how we chose to write a full narrative review on the specific subject of COVID-induced gender disparities. So one day, the chair of diversity and inclusion showed up in my office, that being you, <laughs> and I, I think you felt that the mission of our clinic was in keeping with the opportunity to review emerging data that was coming from numerous sources like you just reflected on, and that we could bring to the forefront these critical issues that have emerged as a result of the pandemic. While we've been focused on diagnosis, on treatment, on containment of the pandemic, there was little attention to the fact that women have been disproportionately affected in diverse non-biological aspects of their life, and that we were in a position to review these gaps and share it in a way that would empower a call for action. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you, Carol, for that. And for the benefit of our listeners, we neglected to mention that we are talking about gendered issues with the COVID-19 pandemic. And what we continue to refer to as writing is a narrative review that recently featured in one of our flagmark journals, the Mayo Clinic Proceedings, that summarizes the impact that these issues have, as well as uh, mitigation strategies. So with that, Carol, we'd love to learn a little bit more. I'm sure our listeners would benefit from knowing your experience within the clinic and what kind of trends have you noted in women's health issues over the course of the pandemic? 
I know you and I and others have talked about the direct impact that's had on us in our roles as providers, as well as outside of work. And I think with your deep ingrainment within the clinic, what are some other issues that you've noted over the course? So certainly with patients, there's been concern that they're not following up with medical care. They're not having their preventive screening completed, mammograms and pap smears. They're delaying diagnoses, so that means delaying treatments. That becomes a concern just from a medical aspect. But then also from a psychological aspect, you know, what's happening at home? I know every patient that I see, I ask, how is COVID affecting you? What's happening in your family, in your life, in your work? And that's been so insightful, be able to share those experiences that they're having. Um, And certainly we were very quick to figure out how do we reach out to these women and how can we change what we do and still meet their needs. And so the virtual visit became like the gift of the pandemic, actually, because we quickly figured it out, looked at our lists, reached out to, to women and began doing the virtual visits. And so we've been up and going right from the start. And so that's been really a a big bonus for our patients. Yeah, you highlight some excellent points there. I think this trend in women delaying uh, seeking care was something that you noticed in your clinic. I would say that is an experience many of our providers have shared, this delay of seeking care. And secondly, availability of therapy, because there are so many complex issues that arose from the pandemic that we'll talk about in a little bit. You know, my practice is in stress management, and I know that I had lots of referrals from your clinic for stress management during the pandemic. That was really number one on the list that we were hearing from a lot of our patients. I would include myself, even though I was there to manage everybody else's stress, but this is something I was personally experiencing firsthand myself. So let's talk a little bit more about the data. And we all kind of see this anecdotally and you know, this is so much around us, but what does the data show us? What do we know about the magnitude of this problem of disparities? Yes. So the disparities, you know, are within the medical field, but they're also outside the medical field. So when you think about what happens to women in the workforce, you can kind of separate them out into two buckets, and one could be the healthcare workers. So in the U.S., 52% of of our healthcare workers, especially essential healthcare workers, are women, and they are getting exposed to COVID. And while we've done a good job protecting our healthcare workers, the stats were showing that 11% of our COVID positive cases were healthcare workers, but 73% of them were women. And if you look globally in China, I mean, upwards of 90% of their healthcare workers are females, and they are also experiencing a high hospitalization rate, up to 60% of them were women. And even though women have better outcomes than men overall, there's a concern that they are getting ill? And what are the ramifications of that besides mortality? You know, there's more to it than just that. In fact, it was kind of interesting too, and as far as the unemployment, you know, when you look at non-healthcare workers and what's happening in terms of, you know, jobs and that kind of thing, there was a very nice review by the U.S. Bureau of Labor and Statistics, and they looked at data from 2019 compared to 2020. So in 2019, if you look at unemployment, 3.4% were women, 3.8% were men. 
And in 2020, it switched. And then the women were 16.2% and the men were 13.5%. And the other concern is that it's not just a concern for women versus men. It's also like what's happening within those women? What population are we looking at? And then we have to be concerned that for single parenting, there are more single parents compared to men are women four times more prevalent than men. And they are the breadwinners. And they are the people who need the finances, who need the support systems, and they're losing childcare. So they have their children at home, and then they lose their job as well. So it becomes very complicated from a social economic standpoint. Absolutely. I mean, I think the data is just screaming uh, loud and clear that there is disparity. And the disparity is not as simple as, you know, we we can talk about these numbers, but there is a layer within this layer, and that's uh, the layer of intersectionality. And to your point, the Labor Statistics Bureau, when they put out this data from 2019 to 2020, and then emerging trends for 2021, there is an asymmetric and disproportionate impact on Black and African-American women, women uh, from the Latina background. And I believe the category of people identifying as women that was most impacted was women with disabilities. And arguably, many of them live in extreme social conditions. So thank you for highlighting that. And certainly the other point that you highlighted about the global impact. This is not unique to one geographical area globally. This is a, a trend that's notable in Asia, within the United States, and, and across continents. Uh, and the other thing, um, Carol, that I was uh, reflecting on is, you know, McKinsey has been putting out a report on women in workforce, and we were making slow progress in catching up with the representation of women in workforce. And unfortunately, in this past year, all that progress that we were beginning to make in the last decade or so, we've quickly lost our ground on that. And so thank you for sharing these numbers with us. I think it's really important that we collectively as a society recognize the importance of mitigation of these issues. I also know that within the review article, there are broad categories of gendered impact, which range across different gender identities and issues of domestic violence to trafficking to reproductive health. So why don't we quickly talk about that if you'd like to share with our listeners on gender-based violence and what do you see in terms of trends for these issues? And this is an area of huge concern because if you think about it, the pandemic is a recipe for domestic abuse. You know, shelters are closed, there's economic strain, unemployment, limited community resources, and then throw in alcohol use and drug use, which is increased it's just escalating the situation and domestic violence reports have gone up 20 to 25 to 30% and even internationally upwards of 50%. And that demand for emergency sheltering is gone. You know, a lot of our shelters now are being used for homeless because people are being evicted. So how do women seek asylum from people that, from situations? And they're, we're finding that sometimes the threat of getting COVID is a source of coercion by abusers that then restrict women to home because they're afraid 
they have fear of going out and getting tested or getting treatment. And so they're confined to home with their abuser. And so that becomes a, a situation of disaster for the yeah. whole family. Absolutely. So I think if we break it down uh, from our prior conversations of those broad categories of socioeconomic as well as psychological impact, uh, huge impact, again, disproportionately higher impact uh, in women as well as LGBTQ population at this time that we're seeing also intersectionality of race, ethnicity, as well as socioeconomic status, having a disproportionately higher impact. Uh, how about uh, mental health? What trends might you have noted in that in the search? So, you know, certainly women have a higher prevalence of anxiety and depression just in general. And if you look at, you know, and you can break it down just in general in response to the pandemic that we're seeing higher levels of depression and anxiety that are just related to the pandemic and even women who didn't have a previous diagnosis now are coming forward with symptoms. And the real concern too, additional concern is that our healthcare workers, there seems to be a higher proportion of women who are having PTSD from their work at the front line. And so, you know, how do we recognize this and, and help, you know, our healthcare workers who are out there doing their best to, to treat our patients. You know, this is something of real concern, you know, locally as well as nationally as well as globally, because then it also impacts the care that patients are getting. Absolutely. Another area where we discussed the disproportionate impact is the vulnerability being very different and much higher in women of color, as well as uh, LGBTQI groups and other marginalized groups. And we know that women are overrepresented in lower paying jobs. And you mentioned this before, that single parent families have more number of women are caring for single parent families, and these tend to be more Black and Latino as well. These are the kind of issues we want to bring attention to rather than, as you mentioned earlier, just the sex-based differences in the biological impact of the disease. So we don't provide full management that's needed in these cases. So what if mitigating strategies. What do you see as uh, some initiatives and well-thought-out tactics to address these disparities? Well, I think what's important is enlightenment, first of all, and understanding that these issues exist. And then being able to look at the data like we have and analyze it and disaggregate it, you know, sex disaggregate it and gender disaggregate it so that we can get our arms around what the actual situation is. And then it's important to bring the players into the game and trying to figure out what are the mitigation things that we can do, including women in policy, including women, including LGBTQ, including women of color in the conversation so that we know what their experience is because that's the only way you're gonna know what the right thing is. You know, What are those barriers? How can we get around those barriers? How can we um, work with other groups and in the community and in the government to allocate the right resources and money to areas that can improve the situation. 
thank you so much for highlighting a very systematic approach to getting to the origin of the disparity and being innovative and really creating a top-down, bottoms-up and horizontally existing policymaking to address these issues and getting women on the panels that make these policies because we really want that equity lens because this is not a situation wherein an approach with equality would help. We really need to have uh, the equity lens here. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Kuhl, for sharing that. Any other final thoughts that you may have for our listeners uh, about call to action at individual level, uh, as well as uh, representation within organizations that they could help with this issue? Yeah. One of the things that comes to mind that I did want to highlight too was the trafficking issue that has become more prevalent as women are seeking asylum, where do they seek asylum to? And so they're vulnerable for this. And also with the domestic abuse issues that we train, you know, our EMS people, people who are on the ground to be aware. And what are the, what are the targets or the triggers that would make them think that other things are going on so that they can intervene? Because I think that's an important part of it. We can set up all the policies in the world, but where if we're not identifying the problem, then it, it's not gonna be functional, it's not gonna help. So we have to really work from the ground up in terms of training people to be cognizant of these things, and then we can make an impact. Fabulous, well, thank you for that, Dr. Cool. I think you shared some great examples of specific actions we could take within specific areas that gender disparities are not only emerging, but being magnified during the pandemic. We've been talking with, about gender disparities and COVID-19 with Dr. Carol Kuhl, a general internist and specialist in women's health. Thank you for your time, Carol. Thank you for your interest and inviting me. If you have enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talk podcast, please follow us, stay healthy, and see you next week.